aware you were going 40 miles an hour? This is a residential area. Sure, but I'm on my lawnmower. Wait, am I getting a ticket? No, I've just never seen anyone top nine miles an hour on one of those bad boys. And mow their entire lawn in 30 seconds? What got into you? Well, it did fuel up at Sunoco this morning. At Sunoco, we know how to fuel peak performance. We've been doing it for American racing for over 50 years. Fuel your best. This NASCAR season, every member of the Toyota Racing Team is doing their part to take the trophy home. Like 6th grader Melissa Kowalski, who changes true to true X on every true-false quiz she takes. All my teachers are Martin Truex Jr. fans now. Keep up the great work, Melissa. To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. Nice and clean, execute our race for a thousand position. Got to be there at the end. Yep, copy that. Have a nice, smooth day and try to be there when it counts. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. Oh, yeah, baby! Dirt racing, baby! That's it! That's the thing with this dirt racing, man. You just don't know what you're going to have next, and you're, you're forced to figure something out quickly. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Whelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, trusted to perform since 1952 by Xfinity X5, Internet that's more than just fast. Xfinity, proud premier partner of NASCAR. And by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. From the MRN Studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you yet again in the wake, pardon the pun, of the Food City Dirt Race at Bristol and the Pinty's Truck Race at Bristol. What a weekend it was in Thunder Valley. And coming up on the show, we are going to visit with the Food City Dirt Race winner, Joey Logano. He was the best of them all, and he scored his first win of the season. Matter of fact, becoming the seventh different winner in seven different weeks in the NASCAR Cup Series. We're also going to get some post-race reaction from our Steve Post and Jason Toy. They'll join us with a fast forum. Also, coming up this weekend, NASCAR is going to take a break for Easter weekend. But there have been times over the years that NASCAR has raced on Easter weekend. We'll look back at those times and the reasons why later in the show. The next-gen race car is becoming more of a discussion as we see more and more testing on various tracks. We'll take a closer look at next year's race car on today's show. The garage area is full of personalities that have deep roots in the sport, and one of those guys is Brian Wilson. He's the crew chief for Austin Cindric in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, We'll get to know his story on today's NASCAR Live. Plus, we'll look back on this week in NASCAR history and a whole lot more. But first, Kyle Ricky is here. He's the host of NASCAR Hot Pass. And Kyle's going to give us the latest in NASCAR news. Kyle? Mike, it took an extra 24 hours to get all the racing in on Bristol's Dirt Oval, but it was well worth the wait. With Martin Truex Jr. winning his first career NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race Monday afternoon, and Joey Logano claiming the checkered flag hours later in the NASCAR Cup Series event. NASCAR Executive Vice President and Chief Racing Development Officer Steve O'Donnell couldn't be happier with how Monday's events played out. The industry had everything thrown at it. You know, when you think of the challenge of coming into this weekend just to race on dirt, uh, how much went into that, 
Uh, but then you add on the fact that we experienced uh, flooding, hail, a day race with unbelievable sunshine, more laps with a truck in a cup race than you'd ever put on a, on a racetrack normally uh, if you were conducting a dirt event. So all in all, really proud of the industry. And with the success came the news that NASCAR would return to the dirt oval at Bristol Motor Speedway in the spring of 2022. O'Donnell hoped that would always be the case. We never go into something thinking this will just be a one-off. You know, our hope was that uh, this would be a success and something that we could repeat and, and become really a staple of the schedule going forward. So certainly a number of things we learned uh, throughout the weekend that will apply uh, to next to 2022's event weekends. The official 2022 date for Bristol's Dirt Weekend will be announced in the coming months with the rest of the 2022 NASCAR schedule. And Roush Racing driver Ricky Stenhouse Jr. finished second in the cup race on Monday, a season best and a finish that extends his streak of top 15 finishes to five. Stenhouse believes that the hard work during the off season is starting to pay off. Yeah, we really focused on just being more consistent, you know, week in and week out. We had some really high moments last year and, and some really low moments. And so we're just trying to even things out and, and you know, take the speed of our race cars and make sure we execute when we're at the racetrack, when we're in the shop and, and just being prepared. And Stenhouse will hit a milestone in two weeks time when the cup cars next hit the racetrack at the Martinsville Speedway in Virginia by making his 300th NASCAR Cup Series start. Mike. Thank you, Kyle. Coming up next, Monday's Bristol Dirt winner, Joey Logano, and more as we continue on this week's NASCAR Live. NASCAR season is here, and everyone on the Toyota racing team is doing their part to perform at the highest level. From driver Ty Gibbs to amateur musician Russell Viper, who's working on the perfect pre-race pump-up track for the team. Start those Camrys up! Yeah! To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. It's been more than 50 years since we've seen the NASCAR Cup Series race on dirt, although one of the most anticipated race weekends of the season on the calendar had to wait a few days because of rain. We were finally able to see Bristol Motor Speedway covered in dirt Monday afternoon where Joey Logano took home the Food City Dirt Race win. Our Woody Kane had a chance to catch up with the number 22 Shell Pennzoil Ford Mustang driver. Yeah, I mean, obviously very special uh, to, to win on the dirt at Bristol. Obviously, it was probably the most anticipated event all year long. I, I think everyone's been talking about this event since it's been announced, maybe more even even the Daytona 500. Um, you know, I, I'm not taking it away from Daytona 500. It's, it's still the biggest race to, to win that possible. But um, to be able to, to win on the dirt for the first time in 50 years, something that, you know, I think as a team we take a lot of pride in. Um, being able to, to try to figure it out first. And um, we obviously had a very good Shell Penzo Mustang, and we executed the race very well uh, on top of that and uh, kept ourselves clean and, and towards the front most of the race and, you know, methodically move our way towards the front and keep tires on the car. <laughs> There's definitely plenty of challenges, but, you know, I think overall to be able to be, you know, sitting on top and, and you know, having that Bristol sword uh, and, and sticking into the dirt, that's, that was a pretty special feeling. Now, you said keeping yourself clean. That's a relative term at a dirt race. So give me a sense of what it was like. I mean, was was it all up in your ears and your hair and all that afterwards? What was that like? 
um, in comparison to what we do when we go full wheeling and go side, you know, side by side trips, it was pretty clean. <laughs> from what I'm used to, I'm usually the the guy that runs uh, through all the dirt and the mud holes and and all that because I think it's funny and 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 uh, I'm usually the muddiest at the end of those trips. So uh, I'm a little used to the dirt from that aspect, and I like to think that it helped me a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, that's kind of the the gist of my dirt racing experiences through the woods or going to um, Durham town and having fun down there on, on some of their racetracks, but, you know, in, in a side-by-side and then, you know, I ran some, uh, you know, modified races, um, you know, starting in Volusia and, and, and ran uh, up in Bristol as well. So, yeah, that's, that's my dirt racing background, which isn't obviously very deep at all, but I got to think that stuff definitely helped play into yesterday. Um, and then also, you know, you kind of put that on top of, stock car racing right like your, your typical short track racing the skills that you learn over years about how to save tires um, what you need out of your car um, you know at certain moments and how to drive it is kind of a hybrid of both of those you know I, I don't think if you're a, a dirt expert right if you're a you know the best you know BA dirt guy out there and you put them in one of these cup cars I think it's so different you know those, those late models and modified sprint cars the way you have to drive those cars to make speed is completely different. So it's, it's a really a hybrid of, of both, right. That, that comes together um, when you saw this, this race. So, um, you know, I was glad to be able to have just enough experience to kind of know where the track was going, know what the dirt's going to do and, and how to move around a little bit, at least. That's one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, is saving tires. How different of a feel is that on dirt versus asphalt? You know you have to do it at a place like Atlanta where you had just been the week before because the track's so abrasive. But seeing some of the tires come off of those cars with that big square pattern that Goodyear had in there, they looked almost like slicks when they came off of the cars sometimes. They were slicks. <laughs> <laughs> By the end, they definitely were slicks. And you know, I think the biggest concern was blowing them out. Um, you know, as you, you know, wear that rubber off and you get down to the cords, well, the next thing's air, <laughs> you know, there's not much after that. So, yeah, you, you had to be careful with that and mindful. And, you know, like I said, you use a lot of the same tactics that you would use to save tires at, at a Richmond or Martinsville, you know, yesterday. And, and it's hard to do, right. Cause you want to go right. And, and the, the reward that you hope to get isn't 10 laps later, it's like 35 laps later before you start to see the reward. So you needed, I needed long green flag runs um, to start to see the reward from trying to be smart. Um, you know, so it, and it did work out well, you know, I, you know, my mindset inside the car was, you know, run hard for a few laps and settle in and, and try to get one, maybe two more spots throughout the, throughout the run. And, you know, so if you can get two cars per, everyone's waving to me in the background here. Just, <laughs> <laughs> really distracted me here <laughs> if you can get a couple um spots throughout the run yeah that was kind of my thing you know don't don't overcharge don't try to get you know more than your car will give you and um, methodically i knew our car was good enough to just kind of grab one or two at a time now track officials in nascar said uh, during the race that this will be a dirt event next year as well and it makes me think well that would be theoretically with the next gen car and you're one of the handful of guys who've actually tested that thing granted it was early in the process but what do you think about trying to make that car work on dirt after you just figured out how to make this car work on dirt i'm sure it'll be fine <laughs> uh, you know what i mean like that's that's where i am with all this is is before covid we wouldn't have done half the things that we're doing right now. I always think back to the moment when we went to the Daytona road course and started with no practice, 40 cars deep. No one even knew what turn comes up next. And you know what? It went just fine. 
you know, and, and if it wasn't for COVID, we'd never, ever have done that. So at this point, I've been pushed so far out of my comfort zone that I'm comfortable outside of my comfort zone, you know, so, uh, which is a great thing. I guess the number one biggest positives coming out of this pandemic for me is, is really just anytime that's so something so far out of the box gets thrown at us. I think, all right, it's not going to be as bad as you expect it to be, right? You expect it to be a complete mess and it always goes better than you think. And I think that's probably the, the key learning for me. So throw it at us at this point. I don't care. It'll be fine. <laughs> I, I guess if there is a bright side to all this, that is one of them that, that some of the things that maybe we never would have tried have come to the, the front and been better than anybody ever thought. And I guess in the long run, that's going to be a good thing. But looking at your hat, I'm seeing reminds me that uh, there's a discount this week for some merchandise, right? Tell folks about that. Absolutely. Joey Logano store. Every time uh, you know, we get a win, we get joeylogano.com. Uh, you know, we, we definitely put a, a sale up for, for victories. We're designing some cool dirt shirts right now. 100% of the proceeds go to the foundations. If you buy a shirt for 20 bucks or whatever it is, $20 goes to Joy Legano Foundation to help give second chances to children, young adults in times of crisis, kids that, that need some good role models that um, you know, need a little support to help them be a contributing member of society. Um, th those are the kids that it will help out. So uh, it, it's so much fun to, to be able to, to you know, impact people's lives that way together. Uh, not not just me, right? It's, it's, it's a whole group. It's all my fans that come together to, to make that impact. So that's why I love doing that store so much, right? It's, 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 it's really a charitable store where every dollar that goes into it goes straight back to the kids. You can hear much more of that interview on MRN Out Loud at MRN.com. Coming up, we'll talk about the race and the storylines with our Steve Post and Jason Toy. Plus later... We'll get an update on NASCAR's next-gen race car. Wheeland would like to congratulate Joey Logano and his number 22 Team Penske pit crew for the win at Bristol Motor Speedway. They are the Wheeland pit crew of the week. For crew chief Paul Wolf, the key to victory was the wisdom passed along by the dirt-savvy team back at the shop. Well, there was a, uh, a lot of meetings and getting together. Um, you know, obviously we have some people within our company have, have raced dirt in the past and have some experience. So it's really, you know, talking to those guys, being open-minded, but uh, still just having a, a common sense approach, knowing that it's still still the same race car we race every week, where the track's just gonna have less grip. And uh, we kind of took that approach going into it. Um, the guys did a great job, obviously, back at the shop preparing the cars. Wheeland Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, trusted to perform since 1952. Now, back to your host, Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. So glad you're with us here on our weekly get-together. Let's, uh, let's engage in a fast forum now with a couple of gentlemen that were on the broadcast for the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, Pinty's Truck Race on Dirt. Speaking of Jason Toy and Steve Post. Posty, I'll start with you first. What were your, some of your uh, observations? Things were a little dicey on Saturday. Weather-wise on Sunday, punted us to Monday. But once we got trucks on the track, what were your takeaways compared to all the other dirt races that you've taken in over the course of your many years? Yeah, I've been fortunate that I've done all of the Eldora races. And I watching the trucks slide around the racetrack, it looked – I've loved all of the Eldora races, and I loved what we had at Bristol. I think it looked very, very similar with the multiple grooves early on as the track dried out, which happens in dirt track racing. It kind of got down a little bit less as far as the multiple grooves go. 
I think it was, it, there were so many things, just the way those trucks went around the racetrack that reminded me of Eldora. I think Bristol did really well by it. And, and to me, it was just great. And then uh, the other, the other observation I have is just the childlike giddiness of Martin Truex Jr. Uh, we, we, we didn't see that. I'm telling you, I listened to a scanner when he won that first stage, he took it off the, you know, took it right to the finish line. And you just swore it was uh, an eight-year-old winning his first go-kart race. I mean, it was it was fun. The whole event was just fun. Jason, what about you? You were high atop turn three on the back stretch there for us for MRN. What were some of your observations from up atop the suites there? Uh, first off, I was impressed with what they did in getting the track to where we were. I mean, to, compared to what we were on Friday, even on Saturday, they did a heck of a job to get us ready to race on Sunday, and I thought that was fantastic. The thing I was really impressed with, a, where the drivers like Martin Truex Jr., Rafael Assard, drivers that don't have any dirt experience that really stepped up at the forefront in the race. As far as the track goes, I was impressed on how many different lanes you could work with. We saw drivers on the bottom. We saw drivers going toward the top. We only saw Kyle Larson there right before he wrecked going to the extreme top of that cushion up there through the corners. He was starting to make that work in. But other than that, I was real impressed with everything in general. Uh, Jason, I'll stay with you. You know, you've called a lot of races on pit road as a pit reporter. You obviously have done things in the turn. How is it different calling a turn for dirt than it is for asphalt? There's a lot of different little lingo deals. And you talk about power slides and you talk about slide jobs. You talk about the cushion. You talk about ripping the fence down or whatever. And I grew up on dirt racing. So that was the thing. I grew up dirt racing with my dad in the late models down at East Bay Raceway in Tampa, Florida. So it, it was great to get back to, to watch this, to call these races like this. Uh, obviously a little different than a World of Outlaw late model or a sprint car. The, uh, the suspensions were a lot different. You have to manhandle these trucks a little bit more. And that was, uh, it made it a lot of fun. I tell you, it's, it's a blast. I'm looking forward to Knoxville. I think it's going to be fantastic. We are as well. You'll be able to hear that race on Motor Racing Network. And towards the end of the cup race, General Manager of Bristol Motor Speedway, Jerry Caldwell, gets on the public address system and says, folks, we're doing this again next year. And the crowd went nuts and they erupted. Posty, what are your thoughts on coming back and doing it again in 2022? And do you have a couple of tweaks that we might want to consider by coming back next year when we do? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. That uh, I think it's great that we're coming back. Um, I love that we're going to get another shot at this. I think, um, I, and I would have been fascinated. I really wanted to see the original schedule, what a 150-lap truck race after dark would look like. I think, mm -hmm. I think missing Saturday night, we might have missed the potential answer to the little bugaboos that we had with it. So I think that we, and, and that was the original plan, and we got washed out of that. I think that would have been fascinating. So I think maybe a little bit later start. Obviously, we don't need 400 laps in one day. We don't need that on a lot of asphalt tracks, let alone a dirt track. And with the bright sunshine, so I think that's the case. I think it's interesting from the car standpoint, um, the windshield debate, I have no idea. We've been running with windshields at Eldora for years. They run arc at windshields. I mean, I don't, I don't know that. Um, I think it gets interesting with the, the new generation race car and how that plays out. And I know that that could factor into it. But I think probably the one thing I would look at is I, I would like to see um, no monsoon. I don't know that we have any control <laughs> over that. Uh, maybe uh, maybe a, a little bit later start, more uh, less sunshine time on the racetrack. But, boy, I'm telling you, it, 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 this was a great inaugural event, that's for sure. Before I let you gentlemen go, Posty, I'll begin with you. We're coming up on an Easter break. Our first off weekend of the year, the seventh uh, race was run 
obviously at Bristol for the Cup Series. Uh, that was the fifth for the truck, seventh for the Xfinity Series. Give me a driver, give me a team that is in dire need of a break to maybe reassess things after seven races or five races in. Kevin Harvick. I'm telling you that uh, what in the wide world of sports is going on over there. And I think they've got to be asking the same question and like, let's catch a breath and, and see what's going on. So to me, that driver, that team that needs to figure it out and, and really Stuart house across the board, but Kevin Harvick has been the flagship car, the main car there. And to me, that's the driver that needs the break and then needs to figure something out to come out of the box. Good at Martinsville after this Easter break. JT, what do you think? I agree, and I think Posty stole my thunder there. I think Kevin Harvick's the big one. Stuart Haas racing, like he said, across the board. I mean, you've got two younger kids that are running. Cole Custer obviously has a year or two experience, but trying to get that program to where they need to be at this point in his career and his point sitting in the seat of that race car. Chase Briscoe, shown signs, but just hadn't had the finishes to do it. But Kevin Harvick, I think, uh, definitely the big surprise for me so far this year. I would tend to agree with both of you gentlemen that you do have a couple of youngsters there in Custer and Briscoe. Eric Almarola, he has had a cloud over that number 10 Smithfield car for a while. But when you have a driver crew chief pairing like Rodney Childers and Kevin Harvick, dirt race aside, when you have two of them that have been so successful and always figure it out and they have challenges, yeah, I would think that they would uh, they would welcome an opportunity to reassess things uh, before we go to martinsville the following week gentlemen thank you so much it's a pleasure sharing the microphone with you on saturday enjoy your off weekends as well and we'll catch up with you on down the road happy easter everybody thanks mike happy easter everyone steve post jason toy joining us for another fast forum coming up we'll talk about the next gen race car and later we'll get a history lesson about nascar and racing on easter weekend this is nascar live now, back to Mike Bagley. We're back on NASCAR Live. Over the past few months, NASCAR's been ramping up testing on its next-gen race car. For more on next year's new look, here's our Woody Kane. NASCAR's new next-generation race car is moving closer to being ready for competition, with news that manufacturer-specific models are on the track at Martinsville this week. For fans, drivers, teams, and NASCAR officials, the car represents a big change. Seven-time champion crew chief Chad Knauss is now vice president of competition at Hendrick Motorsports, with one of his primary tasks being getting the team ready for next-gen. The car is fundamentally different from a mechanical standpoint. The uprights, which we would call spindles, uh, the independent rear suspension, uh, the transaxle is a sequential shift. Uh, the engine package is going to be different with uh, opportunity to evolve in the future. Uh, aerodynamically, the car is just fundamentally different. It's got, you know, complete full under tray, so the the, the ride proximity to the ground creates a lot of downforce or loses a lot of downforce depending upon the pitch and, and yaw of the car pitch and heave, excuse me. So there's there's a lot to learn about this car. So it's, it's a fundamental change. Wheels and tires are larger. Um, sidewall stiffnesses are significantly different. It's got a rack and pinion steering as opposed to the, the Saginaw style box that we currently use. Man, I could go on and on and on and on and on. There's just, it's, it's a completely different race car. Um, now fast forward, from a financial standpoint, there's a couple ways to look at it. One, I think that you can probably run fewer cars um, or have fewer cars in your inventory, which may help you from a fun financial standpoint. But ultimately, you're going to reinvest the, the, the monies in development, other ways to try to find improvements. So, so 
You know, racing, unfortunately, is, is really about the same, how fast you want to go, right? And it's going to cost money. Uh, that's just the, the, the crux of the whole thing. Team owner and former cup champ Tony Stewart is among those who believes cost is a key factor with the next-gen car. He says getting rookie Chase Briscoe behind the wheel this year before the switchover will only help his development. Well, financially, it, it shows on paper that it's going to be a huge improvement for all the teams. And, and I think, you know, especially the bottom third of the of the field, it's a great opportunity for them to be able to, to be more competitive with the top third tier teams. So I think all in all, that's going to be a great thing. Uh, getting Chase in a car this year, getting him used to his team, getting him used to the drivers, the tracks, uh, in a cup car, I think is a valuable learning year, even though you're going to be switching to a different car the next year. But I think having him get that experience this year with that group uh, will even make year two and in getting into that new car even put him at a more level playing field with everybody once he's got that first year under his belt. So everybody's going to have to start kind of from scratch when the new car comes out. But financially, it's good for the sport and good for the teams. Uh, and for Chase, I think getting this year uh, is going to be valuable for him before he gets in that car. Even new teams are trying to use this season to get ready for the next-gen debut. Justin Marks started his new team in part because of the new car. His business model with co-owner Pitbull and driver Daniel Suarez includes costs going forward. We believe that this is going to work. And so is there risk involved? Sure, there's risk involved. Am I bullish on NASCAR's future? I am. Um, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't. But I mean, it's that car that I think you're starting to see things like the Denny and Jordan deal and you're starting to see things like Trackhouse. It's that car that I think for the first time in 30 years in this sport truly represents an opportunity for the future. But what's the new car like behind the wheel? Kurt Busch tested at the Charlotte Roval last year. Uh, with a sequential gearbox, that's the most fun. Uh, I love shifting through the gears uh, sequentially. You know, you got to go second, third, fourth, fifth, and then you got to go back, fourth, third, second. It's not your typical H pattern that we've had. So this gearbox is fun to drive. Uh, the brakes are, are much bigger uh, and the car can stop a lot quicker. And then we actually have a, a hybrid like uh, horsepower range. Right now we're not the full 750, but we're not the low 550. But overall the car's first impression is, is fun. It's exciting and different. Martin Truex Jr. was part of the same test. As different as the car is, you know, I think independent rear suspension is something that I was really, you know, not sure what to expect on. I've never driven anything, you know, without a, without a, you know, straight rear end in it. So, um, you know, that was, uh, that was a big question mark. And, and honestly, it, it really doesn't feel any different. Now we did make a few changes on one of the runs that I was like, whoa, this thing's out of control. You can't, you know, don't do that again. So. Um, there's there's definitely going to be a huge learning curve. I mean, there's so many differences about um, about the way these cars are built from what, you know, our style of racing or, you know, racing stock cars in general, going all the way back to modifieds for me. Um, there's so many differences about this. Bush says the car even sounds different. It even sounds throatier and deeper, and the sound was very cool. I mean, I don't get to hear cars a lot because I'm, I'm into car racing. But to hear Truex go around and to hear the split exhaust, one pipes out the left, one pipes out the right, that's an old school Trans Am style thundering power feel. Uh, but the car accelerates quicker, it stops quicker, it turns quicker, it's more nimble. When he tested the car at Richmond earlier in March, Bubba Wallace agreed. This week's test includes manufacturer-specific models for the first time. Drew Herring will drive for Toyota. 
David Reagan will pilot the Ford version, and Alex Bowman will be behind the wheel for Chevrolet, where Jim Campbell is vice president of performance and motorsports. Yeah, no question. This has been an uh, industry-wide effort with, uh, with NASCAR and all the OEMs, all the team owners. Uh, we have been working on this, uh, this next-gen uh, project uh, for some time, and so uh, it's right around the corner. We cannot wait. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're doing, you know, kind of the development on both the new car and obviously continuing the development on the current car just to, you know, continue to deliver a great performance on, on track and then get ready for that next chapter of the next gen. So we're looking forward to next gen uh, Camaro. NASCAR President Steve Phelps says NextGen has the clear potential to attract new manufacturers, or OEMs, which stands for Original Equipment Manufacturers. As things get back to normal, uh, we will continue to ramp up our discussions with new OEMs. I do believe, as we talked about, our media partners being in a better place with us, our fans being in a better place with us, I believe new OEMs and the relevance of this sport and where this sport now ranks in terms of the you know, within the sports and entertainment landscape, it's just so different than it was a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. Um, and with that, uh, as well as uh, the next-gen car coming out next year, uh, I think there's going to be some renewed interest from an OEM perspective. Still, there's a lot of work to be done before the new vehicle is ready to debut at the 2022 Daytona 500, according to Chad Knauss. It is a huge, huge undertaking. There's you know, we've, we've seen, you know, through my career, I've seen big cars to smaller cars to the COT. And I, I, over my years, I've seen every old crew chief has always said, oh, going to ruin the sport. Oh, we'll never make it. The, you know, sport's doomed, you know, and, and, and things of that nature. But we continue to thrive and excel as an industry and uh, and the race teams do as well. So I want to make sure that we're, we're doing things in the right direction to try to improve our product and get it out there so the Hendrick Motorsports can continue to be strong. And what about further down the road? Last weekend, Joey Logano won NASCAR's first Dirt Cup race in more than 50 years. Travis Geisler is Team Penske's competition director and says getting next-gen ready for dirt will add a different variable. You know, I mean, if this car was a challenge, it's it's going to be a whole other set of challenges. And certainly early in the season for the whole industry, so we'll still be kind of new to that car, which will be... Uh, no, make it even more challenging. It's just this one, we kind of knew so much about the history of you know, kind of how you wreck, how things tear up, what happens throughout courses of events, you know, short tracks across the country where, you know, you, you get torn up and you kind of figure out, okay, we need to reinforce this, do that. You know, that body being totally different, all the suspension being different, you know, that's, um, can't really say independent rear suspension's been run on dirt. Maybe I can remember John Mason trying it probably when I was about five or six <laughs> and that was uh, pretty unsuccessful so i think we'll have a, our work cut out for us but certainly had our work cut out for us this weekend as well and you know i think just like joey mentioned you know the drivers are so high caliber and i certainly agree with them it was, it was awesome to see our group just really figure it all out but i think the same goes for the guys with the cars and people who are working on them at, at every company here you know everything ran through the race and we made it you know we figured out how to do it nobody's really done it before so we'll figure it out. That's, uh, that's part of what we do every week. Any way you slice it, just over 10 months from now, teams will be ready one way or another for a whole new challenge. Thank you, Woody. Next year we'll be here before you know it. Coming up next, we'll look back at the times that NASCAR has raced on Easter weekend. And later, we'll get to know one of NASCAR's many personalities with Austin Sendrick's crew chief, Brian Wilson. 
NASCAR Live is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. This weekend is Easter weekend, and it's also the first off weekend of the 2021 NASCAR season. It's not often you hear the sound of race cars on this holiday weekend, but it has happened in the past. For more, here's our Kurt Becker. There are unwritten rules in almost any sport. And one of the unwritten rules of NASCAR is that you do not go racing on Easter Sunday. As a result, the NASCAR Cup Series will be idle this weekend. That's not to suggest that there has never been cup racing on Easter. In fact, there have been 11 cup races total held on Easter Sunday in 72 full seasons of the NASCAR Cup Series. But as that stat would also indicate, NASCAR has been reluctant to race on Easter throughout the course of its existence. In 1953, when the sport was in its infancy, NASCAR allowed the Charlotte Speedway, a three-quarter mile dirt track, to schedule a Grand National or Cup race for Easter. But race director Bill France added a stipulation. The race would not begin until 3 p.m. His reason was stated in four words, in observance of Easter. Six years later, in 1959, Wilson Speedway in North Carolina announced plans for an Easter Cup race but a fire swept through the wooden grandstand and burned it to the ground during practice. Announcer Sammy Bland calmly gave directions to help everyone evacuate the grandstand safely. The race went forward as planned, but the crowd of 6,500 had to watch from the infield or the backstretch as Junior Johnson won in a 57 Ford. One of the most delicate situations occurred in 1962 when rain postponed a cup race at Martinsville, Virginia and forced it to be rescheduled for Easter Sunday. The Henry County Ministerial Association protested and the organization pleaded with the track to reconsider. Speedway President Clay Earls forged an understanding when he promised to hold prayer services at the track on the morning of the race. The race went forward without further protest. At the Atlanta Motor Speedway, known at the time as Atlanta International Raceway in 1970, weather forced the postponement of a cup race until Easter. Bobby Allison, a young husband and father of four, was determined not to disappoint his family. So he and wife Judy dressed the four kids in their Sunday best, took them to church, and then took them to meet the Easter Bunny. The day had a perfect ending when Bobby went to victory lane. The last time the NASCAR Cup Series raced on Easter Sunday was March 26, 1989 at Richmond, Virginia. Good afternoon, everyone, from Richmond International Raceway, and happy Easter. We're going to fill this place up this afternoon to watch the Winston Cup drivers go in the Pontiac Excitement 400. The Pontiac 400 had been originally scheduled for February, but had been postponed after ice and snow had pelted the Richmond International Raceway. Snow drifts were as high as two feet against the retaining wall. But the weather was much more agreeable by the time Easter Sunday arrived. And as the race unfolded, Alan Colwicky rose to the top of the leaderboard. Colwicky would build what seemed to be an insurmountable advantage. But a late race caution changed everything. 
Rusty Wallace, getting terrific work from his crew, came off pit road with the lead, and he held it the rest of the way. Wicky closes in even more, coming off the corner, takes a little lower line off turn number two. Is it going to be there? At the end of the back straightaway, he's still two car lengths behind Wallace. Rusty Wallace takes a good line through the corner. Kulwicki will shut it down to about two car lengths, but Rusty Wallace will win the Pontiac Excitement 400. He'll beat him by about three car lengths at the start-finish line. That victory was one of six by Wallace that year in his championship season. To date, it remains the last time anyone went to victory lane in the NASCAR Cup Series on Easter. But this weekend, for the 32nd consecutive year, there will be no racing on Easter. Teams will get some rest and prepare for what's to come. A stretch of 15 consecutive weekends without a break. The NASCAR Cup Series is tough and demanding, and it is always evolving. But it still allows room for a few long-standing traditions, and one of those is Easter Sunday at home. Thank you, Kurt. A tradition that we hope will continue to stand. Coming up, we'll get to know Austin Cendrick's crew chief, Brian Wilson, and later we'll look back on the events of this week in NASCAR history. Today's broadcast is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Thanks for making us a part of your listening on this week's NASCAR Live. Appreciate you checking us out. The NASCAR garage area is full of personalities that have deep roots in the sport. And one of those personalities is Brian Wilson. He's the crew chief for NASCAR Xfinity Series driver, Austin Cendrick. Our Steve Post talked with him about his history in this sport. Your background fascinates me. I love generational people. I mean, my dad was a race fan. I became a race fan and figured out a way through radio how to turn it into a career. We talk all the time about drivers and families that are second generation. You are a second generation race engineer. I mean, is following in dad's footsteps, is that kind of all you had planned as you, as you saw what he did? Yeah, I mean, I always enjoyed it. My dad, he raced. Um, we lived in the Detroit area, so my dad raced um, Arca Midgets when I was growing up. Um, I got a go-kart when I was young, so uh, we both realized really quickly that we didn't have the talent to be drivers. So um, my dad had an engineering degree, and he was working at GM, and, you know, he found a way into the, the GM racing group. Um, and through those connections, uh, he was able to move us down south. We moved to uh, to the Asheville area. He worked on the 33 Skull Bandit car when uh, when Robert Presley was was driving that. So um, yeah, um, I, watching him, I always wanted to get into it. Um, there was a conversation I had with him about my sophomore year in, in school where I said, "Hey, this is what I want to do," and he was he basically said, "I'll help you all I can, but careful what you wish for." <laughs> and uh, you know, he, he's he's always. He's always kind of given me a fair, uh, fair take on what it's like, um, but I love what we do. Um, I lean on my dad. I call him before every race. Uh, I call him every Monday. Um, he's my biggest supporter and biggest critic, and, and I, I definitely would not be here without him. So uh, he's guided me on a lot of the big decisions and, and, you know, any of the struggles that we have. He's a guy that I can go and talk to. It's, it's a huge, huge benefit. You, you mentioned you did run carts a little bit up in the Detroit area, um, and just that – uh, apparently that just didn't scratch the itch for you or, you know, just was what you were looking for. Yeah. I mean, I loved it. I loved it. Um, I actually raced, I started at flat rock. Um, 
and I was not very good at it. Um, plain and simple. You know, my dad at one point, we, we started out with a cheaper cart and then, you know, to see if I could do it, my dad bought the, uh, the previous year's champions cart. And so we knew we had decent equipment and I still wasn't winning races. So, uh, at that point, I mean, we realized that, Hey, maybe this isn't the thing we need to be putting all our time into. Uh, it was also around the same time my dad got that job with GM racing. And so he started traveling, going to all the, the races on the weekends and, you know, it just kind of became apparent that that wasn't what we were going to do. Uh, we bought dirt bikes and I still ride dirt bikes. Now it kind of became a hobby where we just go trail ride. And, um, so that scratches the itch now to where I can at least get out there and, and go to what my limit is. Even if that limit's not far enough to be an actual driver, I can go feel like I'm doing something and finding my limits, you know, and I think that's what it's all about. I think you you moved to the Carolinas. You moved up to Asheville. Your dad's there working on the uh, the, the Robert Presley the thirty three car, and and you're you're making this decision. It seems to me that this was a neat time for engineers and racing because various schools. I know Clemson had a program. You ended up at NC State with a motorsport with an engineering degree. Was that about the time that motorsports and engineering was kind of coming together at some of these universities? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, it, it's funny because my dad, he basically was, you know, the first race engineer that they had at the 33 car. And, uh, you know, he always joked, he was like, well, because I could use a computer, I also booked all the hotels and made sure the travel arrangements were right, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I got to NC State and, you know, I was there um, during a time when a lot of guys, um, you know, were interested in racing. Uh, a lot of schools were starting to do like the Formula SAE and the Baja and all that type of stuff. Um, I was fortunate that when I had that conversation with my dad about wanting to go racing, um, you know, he, he put me in touch with Bill and Frank Kimmel. Um, and I was able to go volunteer with those guys. A uh, great place to start. Um, you know, I was there at the same time as Travis Mack and Jeff Stankowitz, a couple other crew chiefs. So uh, we all we all obviously soaked it in and, and learned a lot from Bill and Frank. So, um, yeah, it was a great time. Um, obviously, I learned a lot um, going to NC State, but I learned almost as much. It was almost like getting a master's degree, going and volunteering for a, a race team of that caliber uh, and being able to soak that, that all in. That's really what gave me a, a good start, you know. Yeah, you talk about the variety of people. You you were shock specialist. You were on the two team as the engineer in 70, 70. Yeah, you actually spent some time with my buddy, David Stremme. I know uh, uh, we do the Wing Nation program, him and Ashley. That just soaking up that variety of people and experiences for a young engineer, how valuable was that? Yeah, I mean, it, you, can't, you can't put a price on how valuable that was. I mean, I, I was able to be around a lot of great guys. Um, I was actually on the, uh, the 77 car when Rodney Childers was there. Um, you know, so, uh, Kevin Kidd was on that team. Um, you know, a lot of guys that ended up being crew chiefs, I've, I was fortunate to work around at a very young age. So, you know, when you're around guys like that, you just soak it in. It's almost like osmosis, you know, you just can't help but learn something from them and you watch their approach. Um, but you know, I was also able to be around a lot of the, the older school guys that, you know, came from the rusty days and, you know, guys like, you know, Jeffrey Thousand and, and Tom Hoke and, you know, guys that had so much information and knowledge. And, you know, you learn from those guys, just their approach and how to be a professional and what it means to, to really, you know, everyone says, well, you got to work hard and you got to, you know, make good decisions, but you don't know what that is until you see it. You don't know what the level is of working hard until you're around really good guys. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I was very fortunate to be around great guys when I started. That's Brian Wilson, crew chief for NASCAR Xfinity Series driver, Austin Sentry. Coming up this week in NASCAR history. This is NASCAR Live. 
Now, back to Mike Bagley. We're closing in on this week's checkered flag, but first, Susie Armstrong is standing by with This Week in NASCAR History. Thanks, Mike. 1987. Club Nouveau parlayed a go-go version of Bill Withers' classic Lean On Me to chart prominence. Al, Peg, Kelly, and Bud Bundy bumbled through life in suburban Chicago as Fox unleashed the quirky sitcom Married with Children. Hulk Hogan rebuffed Andre the Giant with the body slam heard round the world, defending the WWF Heavyweight Championship in WrestleMania 3. And Dale Earnhardt was one tough customer at Darlington Raceway, driving the Wrangler Chevrolet to victory in the Trans South 500. The fans are on their feet here in turn four. Elliott slows. The lap cars go by him up in turn number three. Phil Parsons and Darrell Waltrip go by. Here comes Dale Earnhardt. He is closing ground quickly in turn four. Elliott working the car back and forth. Earnhardt goes past. Elliott is out of gas. He's coasting across to the line. Earnhardt will win it. What a finish. 1993, NBC spoils the spoilers, taping the final minutes of Cheers at Paramount Studios Stage 25 before a completely empty house. Kix Brooks and Ronnie Dunn kept the hits a-coming with their second studio album's chart topper, Hard Workin' Man. The heroes on the half shell return for the third installment of the martial arts animated feature Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. And the black number three was kicking it at the track too tough to tame as Dale Earnhardt coveted the lead at Darlington. Now down to two seconds, the lead for Earnhardt, but he's only got half a lap to go to victory lane. The Goodwrench Chevrolet now off the throttle into the banking of turn number three, sets the car in the middle of the corner. He's headed for turn four of the checkered flag. Dale Earnhardt backing off the speed while the flying aces climb atop the pit wall. They begin to celebrate, and for the eighth time in his illustrious career, Dale Earnhardt wins here at Darlington. 2011, Lady Gaga was on the right track to superstardom as the lead single from her second album, Born This Way, ruled the radio. Apple released the iPad 2 for international distribution after a successful March rollout in the USA. Hollywood mourned the loss of a screen legend as Elizabeth Taylor quietly passed at age 79. After a 30-year hiatus, Elton John returned as the featured musical guest of Saturday Night Live, belting out Monkey Suit with Leon Russell. And Kevin Harvick took the spotlight when it counted, nabbing the lead on the final lap of the Auto Club 400 at Auto Club Speedway. Final time in the turn number one. Johnson by a car length. He'll go to the bottom side of the racetrack. Kevin Harvick trying to get the momentum built topside. Nearly scraping the wall off of turn number two. Has a full pen of steam off the corner within one car length of the race leader. Kevin Harvick is right there. Absolutely filling the mirrors of Jimmy Johnson. They are nose to tail, bumper to bumper. Into turn three for the final time. Jimmy Johnson taking Kevin Harvick up high. That's okay. He's comfortable up there. And they are side by side off turn four. This one will be Here comes Kevin Harvick, rim riding off turn number four, dives across the nose of Jimmy Johnson, and Kevin Harvick has won at the Auto Club Speedway. And those are just some of the events from this week in NASCAR history. Thank you, Susie. It's time for us to head for the exits, but before we do, we'd like to thank Joey Logano for taking time to join us on this week's show. Also, we appreciate Steve Post and Jason Toy joining us on this week's Fast Forum. For the rest of the MRN crew, I'm Mike Bagley. We thank you as well for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week right here on NASCAR Live as we get set to head 
to Martinsville. Until then, so long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina, and was brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. Today's broadcast was produced by Alexa Henrian, Julian Council, and Rich Colbra. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. Ruoff Mortgage wants to welcome you home with their fast and stress-free mortgage process. Ruoff knows that when you're ready to move, you want to keep things moving. From the moment you start, Ruoff makes sure the process moves quickly, often twice as fast as other lenders, so you can close quickly and settle in sooner. Visit Ruoff.com to learn how you can qualify for the fastest loan of your life. That's Ruoff, R-U-O-F-F.com.